On the flip side, I personally, I don't hate the personalized ads. Sometimes they're very relevant. I'm doing Christmas shopping at the moment. It's coming up. I, I mm. you know, need it. <laughs> oh, what do you want for Christmas? Well, let me just scroll through Instagram and I might find out. I, I don't mind it. I think, Joe, you've just provided a really perfect segue into our next segment, all about Christmas shopping and personalised ads. Hello and welcome to Performance Marketing Unlocked. In this episode, the PMW editorial team will be discussing everything to do with retail and the golden quarter. Over the last few days, we have been releasing the second annual PMW Retail Playbook from editor Robin Langford, just in time for the Golden Quarter. He's in the studio today to talk about what marketers can expect from peak season and how to prepare, act and react to the busiest quarter in 2023. Welcome to the studio, Robin and Joe. G'day guys, thanks for having me. Hello, Lucy. Before we get to the incredibly juicy insights from the report that have been released over the past few days, Joe, what is catching your eyes on your on your news desk at the moment around retail and the golden quarter? Yeah, heading into the golden quarter, one thing in particular has caught my eye in the news, Lucy, uh, and that is following the launch of Amazon's offsite ads program. Q3 saw a dramatic increase in its ad share investment among e-commerce retailers. It actually uh, leapfrogged both TikTok and Microsoft and is now the third most popular e-commerce ad platform behind Meta and Google. Yes, so big news for Amazon there. And PMW has also published recently the Q3 earnings and revenue reports across all platforms and Amazon unsurprisingly saw huge winnings had its biggest ever prime day and so yeah it's a lot of growth going on for Amazon at the moment yeah a lot of growth it, it jumped in 1.7 percent of total ad spend in q2 to 6.1 percent in q3 so it's still uh you know meta is the dominant platform it got 60.3 percent of total ads ad share in q3 that was up as well from q2 uh, Google's at 26.6% total as well. So they are well and truly ahead of the rest of it. But leaping from less than 2% to over 6%, that's a lot of relative growth for Amazon. So um, it's indicative of uh, a lot of work it's been doing, the offsite ads program, as I mentioned previously. Um, and as a way to thank all of the <laughs> advertisers for their investment, they, they've also sort of revamped their ad tech stack that came out recently too, led by its new generative AI tool, that lets advertisers spruce up boring ads. So a lot of waves being made on the Amazon front. Mm, yeah, so with the new Gen AI tools, we uh, reported on this last week, I think. They uh, had a new whole suite of things to offer their advertiser, didn't they? Yeah, so it was headlined by its its generative AI feature, which uh, the capabilities currently in beta. Basically, it just simplifies the process for sellers or brands that are suffering in creativity. They upload a product image and description and they get a set of unique AI-generated lifestyle images. Makes creating campaigns a whole lot easier, also saves a lot of time. But among some of the other upgrades, um, they were introduced across Amazon's DSP, Amazon Ads APIs, and the AMC Amazon Marketing Cloud. So there's a whole lot of different ones there and you can go to that story to read on in depth, should you like. At performancemarketingworld.com. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, yeah, because I think as we're heading into the, the golden quarter, the other news that you wrote about uh, this week was Meta introducing its subscription Ad yeah, free yeah. subscription tier. There were rumours and those rumours, uh, they, they rang true when they were affirmed this morning. Facebook is going to, well, Meta is going to introduce a subscription tier that will remove ads 
Um, and that's for both Instagram and Facebook in Europe. Which is big news. Um, and this, we are releasing this on the Monday. So this news came about on Tuesday of last week at the time of recording. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we'll see whether whether TikTok and X Twitter also mm-hmm. follow suit with, with their paid subscription that's plans. That's true. Yeah, yeah. They're rumored I, I, I actually to be think... It. I actually think it might be interesting for, it might be a bonus for advertisers because it will force consumers to think about the true value of advertising. Mm-hmm. Like, you can put a price tag now on it. Like, one month is of ad-free, like, Instagram is twelve ninety nine, And now you can put a price on what an advert is. And you might actually, um, consumers might actually value those ads they're seeing now. This is giving me free mm-hmm. Instagram or free reels or whatever it is. Do you think TikTok and X might wait to see how the subscription tier works for for Meta. Um, you know, it, their hand was sort of forced with um, the EU uh, GDPR regulations. Meta in particular were under a lot of pressure to um, hit all of the, the data privacy regulations and, and so they've brought in this, this ad tier to sort of potentially, some experts were saying, it might help offset any potential lost revenue for people opting out of personalised ads on their free versions of the platform, which uh, in Europe... You, you have to make that entitlement for all users. Uh, do you think they're sort of going to jump on this, uh, TikTok and, and X as well, or do you think they sort of wait and gauge to see if consumers are willing to pay for ad-free social media? I th- I'd be surprised if the platforms all take a different approach, I'd say. I think they'll all do something similar to each other to kind of, you know, hold on to that competition. I think the main important thing for them is making themselves the most appealing to advertisers it seems the fight's got quite feisty robin would you say yeah i well i think musk has certainly been itching to to charge users and put a premium on it now he's got a sort of uh a good reason to do it but um it'll be interesting to see i think tiktok's got a very different approach because they're coming out of um china and where it's a bit more of a normalized thing to be paying for things like you see on wechat and things like that um it will be it's definitely going to be a new era of subscriptions, I think. I think that's that's why a lot of people find it quite normalised now to pay for subscriptions across everything, whether it's your food delivery, your video on demand, and now your social media apps. Are either of you two inclined at the idea of paying for ad-free social media, or are you happy to deal with the adverts? I think you know my answer to this one. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I also have no inclination yeah. to pay for my social media. I mean, you know, it's you know, we're still living in a cost of living crisis and I think everyone is kind of going through, do I need any of these subscriptions I currently have? People are cutting them down, so, you know, increasing them. And obviously the most, it's it's likely that the most highly engaged users of these platforms will be the ones that... Um, subscribe. On the flip side, I personally, I don't hate the personalised ads. Sometimes they're very relevant. I'm doing Christmas shopping at the moment. It's coming up. I, I mm. you know, need it. <laughs> oh, what do you want for Christmas? Well, let me just scroll through Instagram and I might find out. I, I don't mind it. I think, Joe, you've just provided a really perfect segue into our <laughs> next segment all about Christmas shopping and personalised ads. So, yes, Robin, tell us what you've been up to for the last week because we have seen several parts of the PMW retail playbook published on Performance Marketing World over the last couple of days, outlining how brands should be acting in this year's golden quarter. 
So Robin, talk us through it. Why is the Golden Quarter so important for performance marketers? Yeah, well, it's become known as the Golden Quarter because that is when most of the consumer spend happens. It's where the big holidays occur. It's where Christmas occurs, Thanksgiving, China Singles Day, all the big holidays. And as such, the marketing spend follows suit. You'll see that in the IPA reports and the Walk reports. That big spike between Q3 and Q4 ad spend happens every year. And that is basically... All marketers really trying to get that bottom of the funnel activity, converting all that brand awareness and stuff they've been building up over the year, and now trying to get people to actually spend money on their products and not other people's. And people's um, budgets are shrinking this year. And this is the second annual retail playbook. You released the first one last year. So what can we expect from 2023's Golden Quarter and how is it different? Well, last year when I was putting it together, I spoke to someone from WH Smith who said the phrase, just for once, I'd like to live in precedented times. <laughs> and it does feel like that every Christmas we seem to lurch from one crisis to another, one macroeconomic problem to another. But this year, I would say there's a certain normality. I mean, I have to use that qualification that relative to previous Christmases, when we had COVID, we had Brexit, we had that, that 2019 election, we've had COVID-2, the lockdowns. And then we had last year, we had um, a cost of living crisis and the World Cup occurring. So this year... Dare I say there's a slightly, it's slightly toned down, but um, I have to add lots of qualifiers to that. But what we are seeing is we've, we've seen very sticky inflation in the UK particularly. And as such, um, overall spend is going to drop. And that's what I've found from Kantar. But more overall... Is that overall spend for yeah, consumers? Yeah. Overall consumer spend will drop, but um, actual Black Friday sales should increase. So it seems like we've got very savvy shoppers in the UK that are just being more thrifty and frugal with their spend so that window of opportunity for marketers is probably shrunk a little bit I think they're, they're shopping a little bit later and um, and they're holding back a bit I think you know you summed it up rightly there I think consumers and brands alike are looking for an undramatic Christmas at some point yeah, but good luck to them yeah I know maybe not this year we'll see we'll see but what can brands do differently this year um, I think they need to be quite sensitive to um, consumers' budget constraints this year. I was talking to someone from Boots Media Group who is saying that a lot of their brands and suppliers are taking more of a wait-and-see approach. So they are putting up their their sort of Christmas marketing campaigns, but a lot of it is still floating around waiting to be allocated and some are waiting to see what the Black Friday sales will bring in just to guess the sort of appetite of the nation. Um, and, yeah, that's that's kind of where we are right now. Do you think there's a risk from brands that are sort of taking that wait-and-see approach to inherently sort of fall behind the eight ball at some point? Is there an opportunity for forward-thinking brands who are a little bit more willing to take a risk, I suppose, to sort of leap in and capitalise while everyone else is laying in wait? Um, there certainly is. We've, we've already seen Amazon step in with their second Prime Day ahead of Black Friday. They did that last year, they did it again this year and had very, very um, strong um, strong results from that. But we are seeing that ultimately a lot of spend is being held back until after Black Friday. And that's what, what I'm seeing from brands. And the thing is, nowadays, we're, we're seeing a lot of different brands are able to change their campaigns in flight. There's, I used to see people doing it. All the Christmas planning would be done in July. And that would be it. We'd have this plan here, this plan there. Now it's much more dynamic. Real-time optimization. Exactly. Uh, and, but there's because of that, the advancements in technology, there's a certain amount of reassurance that brands have that they can do that and they'll get more more return from that. So I think they, they are, there isn't seen as much of a risk by, by holding back somewhat. 
I mean, in our previous podcast, we had Simon Hofmeister from TikTok talking about peak season uh, for e-commerce brands on TikTok itself. And he said he's always surprised by the varied preparedness of different brands for the golden quarter. And I said, well, it's the same time every year. But I guess, you know, with all these different factors taking into play, depending when their financial years begin or end or other sales, it can all vary. Yeah, that's exactly it. I was talking to Sam Knights, who's um, CEO of SMG, who's one of the world's largest um, e-commerce platforms. And, and they deal with loads of retailers. And they say that now they're just having a much more of an always-on approach when they talk to brands. Um, and they can just make those decisions on the fly. It also means that there's a lot of media spend still up for grabs in November and, and December. So for marketers, um, um, for platforms and stuff, there's there's a lot to be lot to be gained from that. Um, and also in terms of the type of retailer, I had a fascinating chat with Dean Harris, who's um, head of memberships um, and retail media at Co-op. And Co-op are like actually the fifth biggest retailer in the UK um, outside of um, Sainsbury's, Asda, Morrison's, and the other one, which I can't remember right now, Tesco. Tesco. I forgot about <laughs> Tesco. Tesco is the biggest as well, so apologies to Tesco. Um, but Co-op is largely a convenience store. There's 2,500 stores around. But even they are now getting into personalization and data and membership cards. So when you walk around your local co-op, you're not going to go there for your big turkeys and your big shops. But they're still pushing that loyalty thing. And that's been a big push for them this year. They've partnered with LiveRamp to do that. So you'll be seeing, even in co-op, you'll be seeing QR codes on the on the little on the little shelves and things like that. And they're looking to reward those those disgruntled shoppers that have forgotten to get the cranberry sauce on Christmas Eve and they have to go there. They're trying to turn that sort of pain point into a into a um into a retail pleasure point by um re- rewarding members from shopping there and and obviously that data is a treasure trove that first party data is really rich for them and are there any big surprises can you reveal us anything right now from the report um there are quite a lot of surprises in there it's actually a it's a big three-part report with, which which covers strategy it covers um, a deeper dive into performance channels and it also looks at real world case study examples and there's loads of Great little nuggets in there. But um, one thing I found that does go against the grain, um, Shopify research found that um, in-store visits are now considered more important this year than last year. It might be a bit of a sort of, a, a sort of revenge against lockdown, that more people are embracing the, uh, the real-life shopping experience. But I also think it's tied more to actually digital, becoming more about rewards apps on your phone and stuff. It's making it all a lot more convenient. You don't need to remember your cards and things like that. So I think that's quite a big surprise. The other personal surprise I've I've learnt <laughs> to my shame, what I actually was genuinely interested, is Poundland actually has an online store. Oh. Now it's gone online and there's and twenty percent of their shoppers are shopping online on Poundland, which is fantastic. And if you look on our and if you look in our report, we actually have a top of the shop. So we break down all the top five supermarket retailers and the top five and the top three discounters which is Aldi, Lidl and Poundland across both retail and online shoppers and it's really interesting to see what kind of shopper shops online at those places versus who goes in store um, so you but you have to read the report to see that but I do know that 20% of Poundland shoppers shop online. I feel like I'm trying to do the journalist thing to you right now I'm trying to get you to reveal more but I know <laughs> that you're saving it all for, for the site so we we won't dig too much further but since this is a very it's a busy time for all reports. Everyone's releasing a report right now, but what can brand marketers get from the PMW retail playbook? Um, the main thing is we 
we kind of be broad across the whole industry and we take in all those aspects. Um, so we talk to the retailers or, or and we talk to the brands. Often in this case, they're called suppliers, which is kind of like retail speak, but we call them brands. Um, so we've talked to Amazon, Shopify. We've talked to Pladis, who own McVitie's and Godiva Chocolates. We've talked to Co-op. We've talked to all the big ad tech firms, where, which is where a lot of those adverts are moving around. So that's like the Trade Desk and LiveRamp um, and SMG as well. And we've got data from the ONS, Path to Purchase Institute, Shopify, a whole bunch more. I've basically tried to just get as many opinions as possible and then try and make sense of it all. And I think that's where we differ is that we, we are industry-wide and independent. Well, before we wrap up for the end of this episode, what are the three key takeaways that can be gained from the report? Um, so the most interesting things are because people have tighter budgets, the instinct might be just to go and compete on price uh, with shoppers and just say this is the cheapest thing. But um, a lot of the people I spoke to said that to avoid deep discounting, you can really emphasize uh, the value of your products because that's one of the best ways to get that, that value exchange with the consumer without hurting your bottom line. The data supports that too. I know some of the news and numbers we've been covering uh, recently or I've been covering not just price is something that keeps popping up and I think sometimes brands they might even be undervaluing just how good value can be uh, and really making sure that they're emphasizing value it's a good point of difference for uh, brands retailers when maybe they can't afford to cut down on price and compete with some of those people who are emphasizing it Absolutely, you can't always afford the discount. Um, and one of the other things that came up was it might be worth taking a risk and thinking a bit differently, even thinking about getting consumers to buy on Boxing Day or, or trying to make people think differently about how they gift to people. Um, one brand that was brought up, one retailer that was brought up to me was um, Not On The High Street, who have just launched a Don't Gift Guide. And it's not actually about not giving people gifts, it's about giving people less gifts that are more thoughtful, cost less, but... Uh, are just a little bit more special and, and obviously not on the high street sort of specialise in those little mini gifts. Um, and it's it's all online and it's you can see the performance aspects of this, that sort of really driving people to think, OK, I'm just going to get you something cheaper, but really thoughtful. Mm. Um, I so guess because cool. people are, you know, the consumer attitude towards Christmas and this shopping season is different than it has been. So, you know, there's a, uh, uh, there's some opportunities for malleable thinking i guess which is what the brands like not in the high street are trying to do is boxing day not a big shopping day in the uk it used to be a massive thing i think black friday has kind of usurped it but you, you don't get as much of the boxing day sales i clearly as you haven't used been to. here long enough back home in australia it's all about the boxing day sales oh, so really? I think there's certainly opportunity on that front if um Apex, anything to oh, go no, by. I'm, I'm, I'm too busy on the sofa watching like the third Harry Potter or something to go shopping <laughs> on Boxing Day. I think the Boxing Day sales thing, it does still, it is still here, but I think it's sort of transformed into people shopping on their phones or bargains more than actually rushing out to the, rushing out to the, um, the shops. That like, did used to be a much bigger thing, almost like Black Friday-esque people tearing down the doors and getting it's a good in way there for brands to pawn off anything that didn't sell on christmas oh, that is always the idea <laughs> the idea is you get boxing day discounts i think it's less less of a thing this nowadays i'm not bring we'll it to, back i think we just got your next feature there joe <laughs> um is that happening and then what, what what is your third and final then robin takeaway from the report I think the key thing for retailers in particular is can apply to D2C brands in their marketing is to do more with your data um, and to make sure you really link up that online and offline experience. I think 
data can be your real differentiator if you really get to know your customers. And like Joe was saying earlier on, that kind of personalized message you get to each consumer can really be that thing why they, why they choose your brand and someone else, especially while they're trying to count their pennies. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much, Robert and Joe, for joining me in the studio. Everything we've talked about today, the news and numbers, the analysis pieces and the full PMW retail playbook can be found on our site at performancemarketingworld.com. Thank you very much and goodbye. Goodbye. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me.